0: Chapter Twenty: The Psychology of Religion by Edwin Diller Starbuck. This recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty: Adolescence: The Birth of a Larger Self. If we stop to glance at the various directions in which the religion of youth tends to develop, adolescence will appear at best to be a very complex affair. We have seen that if we take a cross-section of the composite life of a large number of people at any year during adolescence, it has great diversity of coloring. There seem to be forces interplaying, opposing and conspiring within any one year. If we attempt to follow these forces through successive years, there is distinct continuity, although at the same time great variety in the lines of development. We have found that almost simultaneously there come in different individuals, and occasionally overlapping in the same individual, the distinct breaks in character which we call conversion, the sudden bursts of life which we have termed spontaneous awakenings fresh enthusiasms, and heightened activity in religious work, the emotional strain of storm and stress, and, mingled among these, periods of carelessness and indifference. These latter coincide, likewise, with the periods of most rapid physical development, and come at about the same time as the great physiological transformation which centers in the awakening of the reproductive life. If, for example, we take the average age of all these events, it should be borne in mind that averages in these cases show only the most general tendencies and even blur the finer distinctions they differ only by a fraction of a year later by a little comes the doubt phenomena and still later towards the end of adolescence the tendency towards alienation from conventions we have found indications all the way along of essential kinships existing in the character of these phenomena aside from their chronological relationships the question for us now is to inquire if we can find a simple point of reference for all these phenomena which will bring them into system and order and relative simplicity. What is a central thing in the whole adolescent development, if there is one from which all these lines of growth diverge? If we follow up the directions indicated by the facts in the preceding chapters, they seem to lead us toward this fundamental point of view. Back of the whole adolescent development, and central in it, is the birth of a new and larger spiritual consciousness. The little child begins life without a consciousness of his selfhood, he looks out upon the world as purely external. His hands and his feet he gazes at as objects and not part of himself. It is two or three years before he uses the pronoun I, and perhaps nearly as long before he is conscious of selfhood. Before this time, it is true, this fact is implicitly present in his consciousness, as is shown in the instinct of self-preservation, which shows itself almost from the beginning, but it has not yet arisen into clearness. During the years of childhood, the self consists largely in the physiological mechanism and the complex physiological sensations which come through the senses. Somewhat of the outer life has already been taken up into the self, but the world is largely looked upon still as external and objective. The essential thing in children's religion, we found, was the tendency to look upon God and heaven as something above themselves and the body of religious doctrine as something external and expressed and ecclesiastical customs, and doctrines. But there comes a time in the normal process of development when the essence of all these things is worked over as itself belonging to the subjective life. God is a spirit. The kingdom of heaven is within you, Christ was constantly saying. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. These are the attempts to transform life from a purely external point of view and lead one to find the central truth of religion within oneself. Just as the hands and feet were discovered by the child to belong to itself. The birth of a selfhood, the awakening of life, to a self-conscious appreciation of things, is the central fact underlying the variety of adolescent phenomena. For the sake of clearness, let us represent this fact by a diagram as shown in figure fourteen. The self of childhood we shall call little I in A, as a child's higher psychic life begins to have worth in the complex of impressions that are interpreted as making up its own personality, it seems to be brought in contact with a larger world outside its former self, represented by capital I. Either gradually or very suddenly, as the case may be, these new elements of which it has an inkling flock together and break in as a part of the real self instead of something outside of consciousness. The condition now is shown in B, where capital I is the real self and looks back at little I as something which it has outgrown. It is the world of ideas that now comes in and takes possession of the self, and the inner appreciation of the worth to consciousness constitutes spiritual insight. Expressed in physiological terms, the adolescent development consists in the commencement of the functioning of the higher intellectual centers in the brain. Instead of a self of sense, little I, as it existed in childhood, we now have a world of ideas and spiritual perceptions, capital I, with which the personality is identified. The test during the present chapter, if our point of view is the true one, will constantly be as to whether or not it explains the facts. If they fall in, harmoniously and without straining, as the natural expression of this central condition, then we shall keep it as a true explanation. It will be readily observed that this point of view is another way of expressing that which we found to underlie the phenomena of conversion. A transformation of character consists in the sudden functioning of the higher brain areas so that I, capital I, becomes the real personality as distinguished from little I. The old life is blotted out or swallowed up in the new. In the spontaneous awakenings among the persons who have never experienced conversion, but belong to the group we are now studying, we are able to detect exactly the same type of experience, although it is generally not so far-reaching and monumentous in its significance. For the picture of this, we need only refer to the accounts of spontaneous awakenings given in chapter 15, some of the experiences are so pointed, however, in the direction of our present discussion, that we should know a typical instance. One person, a minister who has never professed conversion, writes, with me coming to myself came through suddenly, seeing my whole figure reflected in the mirror in a shop window. When I was about sixteen years old, the impression was tremendous. The thought came to me. I am I. I have a life of my own to live." For some time after, this sense of personal responsibility for life and conduct weighed so heavily on my boyish mind that I identified myself with the Church of Christ. The essential distinction between this instance and one of sudden conversion is that the new revelation, although it is extremely vital, is not sufficient to constitute a new self, but is interpreted as a deepening and intensification of the old personality. A common tendency observable in the records of the respondents, especially in those of younger persons who are still in the adolescent stage, a tendency which seems to show what is going on beneath the surface is the sense of estrangement. It is a very frequent experience for persons to feel themselves shut off from others, to think their individual revelations peculiar to themselves, to look upon customs and conventions as external to their own experiences, to feel that they have a newer and greater revelation than other people have. One young man writes, I have a striking and peculiar experience, and one you don't see often. But an outsider, on reading his record in connection with many others, is able to find in it nothing either striking or unusual. When twenty-two years of age, Kinsley wrote to his mother, I am not like common men. I am neither clever nor wiser nor better than the multitude, but utterly different from them in heart and mind. A girl writes, I am different from other people. I have never been a blind follower in thought or deed. A woman of middle age says in regard to her girlhood experience, When 18 I joined the church, in my earnestness I found myself almost alone. In these instances there is a consciousness of the fresh life within, and everything is judged in terms of it. It becomes the center to which all else is referred, hence the sense of aloofness and estrangement from other people. This often increases to the extent of leading the person to look with scorn on conventional religion and to regard it as inferior to his own. Male. Form seemed mere show and a fetter to individuality. Fifteen to twenty-three. Male. I have not turned against Christianity. Twenty-five. But have outgrown it. I am glad it exists for a certain class of people who can be reached by it. Male. Twenty-six. When I go to church, I am repelled by the bigotry of what falsely calls itself the only religion. Male. I wouldn't go to Sunday school. Fourteen to nineteen because they wanted me to believe things I knew were not so. Male. I did not like traditional theology. I thought there was something better. Female. I thought Christians slow, stiff, and conceited. Female. I am satisfied I feel more serene in church than most Christians. Female. I felt the form of joining church artificial, 13 to 15. I could not talk to mother because she could not understand me. Female. 17. Almost every minister has disgusted me. No one has talked a religion that's satisfied, so I have my own. Many of the subjects show the reform and missionary spirit while in this condition and an earnest desire to bring the rest of the world up to their own point of view. In fact, the missionary spirit, which, as Dr. Lancaster found in his study of adolescence, is a common feature of youth, seems to gain its impetus in part from the inability to objectify the new insight and to harmonize it with the point of view of other people. The apparent bigotry on the part of one who is newly awakened is the result, doubtless, of regarding other people as being at the same time of development, as is represented by the old self that has been abandoned. The new life which bursts forth, the new energy which surges up towards the higher brain areas, is manifested in the heightened activity and increased enthusiasm which are so frequent in youth. Most of the adolescent phenomena center in the disparity which exists between little I and capital I in figure 14, that is, between the old self and its new possibilities. Youth is a time of the awakening of ideas, a time when there is an imitation of a larger life ahead, a fuller life still on the outside. One person says, I scarcely dared to think I was living far below my ideals. Another, I made many good resolutions which would last only a few days. Still another, I had the strongest desire for a better life. I would try and then sink back into the same old attitude. I was not satisfied with myself, and had the greatest regret that I was not better. These are typical of a very large number. To quote more would be repetition of a type we saw in the sense of incompleteness, which was the background of the storm and stress period. It is a common thing for the Bible or church, or religious ceremonials, or customs to stand for the embodiment of the ideal which the person wishes to reach. Male, I fell in with wayward companions, thirteen to fifteen. I stopped Sunday school and avoided the society of good people. I was upbraided by conscience. Did often wish earnestly to be better. Male, I had a period of doubt. I tried to live a strictly moral life but was harassed by numerous evil, invisible agencies. Male, I became painfully aware, 13, and sequence, of the hiatus between the natural life of a boy and the supposed ideal of a Christian. I spent hours each week on my knees. Female, I felt that others had something which I lacked. 15 to 17. I, only, of an orthodox race, had no honest desire for what the rest felt. Female, all through young girlhood, I felt my sister's affectionate nature to be in contrast with my selfishness and shallowness. We were inseparable companions, but she was isolated because she was on a higher plane. The direct result of this lack of harmony between the two cells is that the power of insight and appreciation grows in advance of the power of activity. One sees what to do but lacks the ability to execute it. Heightened activity during adolescence is rare as compared with the other phenomena. There is a breach between the motor areas in the brain and the ideational centers. One is thrown back helplessly, and the chasm between knowing and doing becomes greater instead of less. There are several sets of causes distinctly traceable in the records which tend to increase the discord between the present attainment and the ideals which open up before one. The numerous impulses that arise during youth, if expressed in some positive way, are not always expressed rightly. Like the individual variations which come in biological evolution, some are in the line of progress and persist, while others are abnormal and constitute evil. With certain natures, adolescence is a time of acting and acting wrongly, of running against the wall and suffering, of sinning and repenting, which results finally in remorse and lack of self-confidence. Female, everything I did shortly before sixteen seemed to be wrong. I would make fresh resolves not to do it again. Female, I alternately sinned through weakness and morbidity, brooded over my wicked nature. Male, when sixteen, I broke my standards of right. I felt remorse. I struggled with new ideas, did wrong, and was in despair. This is evidently one element in the differentiation of ideas. The person acts wrongly, and in consequence is thrown back upon himself and realizes the futility of his action. This gives chance for ideals to grow, but at the same time leaves one helpless to attain them. Another element which doubtless sets the ideal in advance of present attainment is physical incapacity to act. The person quoted above, who felt the hiatus between the natural life of a boy and the supposed ideal of a Christian, says further, I was growing fast, and my physical vitality was low. Mother was alarmed at my perfectly hopeless condition. Male, I felt I was far behind my ideals. I fell into morbid hopelessness female at twelve i became serious and it increased with years when sixteen and seventeen i was very melancholy and pensive i thought about the great responsibility of life i had a desire to act but was sure of my stupidity and inability i suffered much in silence we have seen above that spontaneity on the spiritual side seems to culminate just before and just after the greatest increments in physical growth another element is clearly the duplicity or multiplicity of demands made on the will each impulse to act is inhibited by some other or others. The person is left helpless before the greatness and indistinctness of the revelations which come to him. Male. I passed through a period of skepticism in which I questioned even the fundamental morals. The experience fostered my natural indecision before action. Male. From fifteen to twenty I struggled with the ideal of being wholly consecrated to the will of God. Fear of being called to do missionary work stood in the way. Female, I thought I ought to undertake grandfather's salvation. For months I was in a pitiable state between fear of him and for him. I prayed for him, but never dared to speak to him. Female, to talk to others about their salvation, I considered the test of religion. I would write to my cousin and then be afraid to look him in the face. We have seen that another cause of the heightened insight is contact with broader minds, the study of science and philosophy and the like. Whatever be the line of approach... The disparity between insight and the power to act is a prominent characteristic of youth. The first factor in it all, certainly, is the increased complexity of life which comes through the germination of new powers and the capacity for new functions. The immediate sequel to that has already been described. The next factor to be emphasized here is the seeing but not doing, feeling but not responding by some adequate activity, having an impulse in a certain direction, but seeing it deadened by a lack of vital energy, or through the paralysis of the will under opposing motives. Dr. Lucan finds a period in the 8th and ninth grades in our schools, corresponding to the years of about 11 to 15, when there is no improvement in the ability to draw, but a heightened appreciation of art. Unlike the period of 7 to 8, when the child draws everything with little appreciation of its meaning, the youth has the beginning of the art instinct without the power to execute it. This is the same thing that we find in the religious sphere. Dim, indefinable, irresistible impulses press in on one. They are too large and hazy to find definite outlet. The person is comparatively hopeless in the breach between theory and practice, between insight and the ability to act, between appreciation and the power of execution. Now, keeping in mind the fact of a budding spiritual personality and the chasm between the ideal before it and its present imperfection, how does the fact explain the other phenomena of adolescence in understanding the variety of experiences we have to keep before us two facts which have worth in the differentiation of the types namely temperamental conditions and environmental forces some persons are apparently so happily constituted and have such wholesome surroundings that the awakening of new life comes as quietly as the growth of a plant and it is impossible to mark off periods in their growth but such cases are the exception rather than the rule. Among those whose development is marked off by stages of common occurrence are those in which the life forces have not appealed to clear consciousness, those in which the power of self-analysis has fallen behind the unconscious processes of growth. In such cases the realization of the new life comes suddenly as a great new revelation. There is only a slight inhibition between the energy latent in the lower brain areas and it's discharge through the higher, and the overflow into the latter is sufficient to bring a vivid report to consciousness. If the newly awakened brain areas are readily connected again with the motor areas, increased impulse in the direction of religious conduct and heightened activities are result. Storm and stress appears to be the outcome of that condition in which there is not an easy coordination of the higher and lower brain areas. The higher areas which are lying ready to function, and which do function sufficiently to arouse crude ideals, do not work themselves into harmonious relationships with the rest of the nervous system. Frequently it appears that the different ideation centers are beginning to function separately, and there is friction between them to determine which ideals shall be the organizing centers of consciousness. Life is not a unity the strain and friction between its contending parts leaves one in the helpless and wretched condition with which we have become familiar one of the purest types is that of tolstoy he says i could do nothing but think think of the horrible condition in which i found myself unanswerable questions never cease pressing to one dark spot like lines converging to one point the doubt phenomena are of the same sort except that they are less organic and in them the battle is fought out on the plane of reason as distinguished from that of the emotions. The ideals which present themselves to clear consciousness are weighed and balanced against old customs. It depends, perhaps, on both temperament and the strength of surroundings, that pull in the one direction of the new life, or bind him to the old, which way the decision shall finally fall. If it is in favor of the new life, and the connection is not readily appreciated between this and the old, we have alienation, a phenomenon whose significance now appears clear. As the new life rises to present itself, it rarely finds its own spiritual perspective coincident with the conventional and traditional one. Then follow friction, clash, storm, and stress, and doubt. The individual feels his own worth and clings to it, as a choice becomes necessary between the personal and social points of view. A little less than half allow the scales to tip toward custom and begin the process of adjustment. As we shall see, a little more than half rebel and hold their own individual point of view. How long one remains in this attitude is probably a matter of temperament. A few remain there and never recover. Others are partially constructive, but the greater number find in the relaxation and pain of doubt an occasion for getting their bearings and make it the antecedent of a definite reconstruction the extreme difficulty of bridging the chasm and the length of time that the youth is left struggling toward a higher plane of life seem to belong to the difficulty of learning new things in the experiments of dr byron on learning the telegraphic language he found that each of the subjects learned to receive messages rapidly during the first few weeks of practice just before the proficiency required for receiving main-line messages was reached there was without exception a plateau in the curve of improvement extending through several weeks a long period when the student can feel no improvement and when objective tests show little or none. Then follows a sudden raise in the curve. Suddenly, within a few days, the change comes and the senseless clatter becomes intangible speech. This brings fresh and well-established evidence to what we were trying to picture in conversion. It helps to bring many of the facts in that study and those in this into harmony the child is born into a social organism which with or without his choice has set certain religious standards that he must attain if he is to take place as an organic part of it his adolescent awakening is really a birth into appreciation of the demands which the social whole makes on him the storm and stress and doubt periods and the period of conviction preceding conversion appear to be each in a time of inefficient effort to apperceive and realize that which is the common experience of mature minds. After some weeks or months in the conversion cases, and some months or years in the gradual growth cases, of striving, building, and developing, the new life comes in an immediate possession and a real experience. Some points as to the significance of the adolescent disturbances seems clear from the foregoing considerations. In the first place, the apparent futility of the striving during Youth should not be understood to have no value in the final attainment of a satisfactory experience. Just as it would be impossible for a telegrapher to cross the line representing the degree of proficiency required for mainline work without trying for it day after day, so it is improbable that one will ever break through the limits that enclose the body or world wisdom and enjoy from the inside that which has come as the result of racial experience, without struggling and even agonizing to enter into it. A vital consideration is whether young people should be allowed to undergo the stress and turmoil that so frequently occur, or whether they should be steered clear of the real or supposed difficulties. When we grasp the full significance of adolescence, we shall see that all the instability and anxiety and uncertainty, and even the extreme pain, is one of nature's ways of producing a full-fledged, self-poised human being with a high degree of self-reliance and spiritual insight. Because the currents of life are not running evenly, and smoothly we cannot safely infer that there is not growth in fact when we take into account the great frequency of doubt and storm and stress among supposedly normal human beings when we observe that many of the persons who have risen to eminence and that many of those who have become the leading exponents of religious truth have undergone great spiritual conflicts in youth when we keep in mind that the fact that this is the time for the awakening of that clear consciousness which is the distinguishing characteristic between the most highly developed human being and the animal, it seems highly probable that the extreme experiences of adolescence, with all their unevenness and turmoil, are the result racially of the survival of the fittest, in which the fittest is he who wrestles in youth with the inextricable mash of impulses which spring up, and often pauses in despair while the deeper forces of his nature are working themselves into clearness and harmony if this is true we should rather welcome such experiences in young people than free them from all their spiritual difficulties in fact one of the extreme unkindnesses grows out of the indiscretion of people who try to solve for them the problems which arise in the minds of young people one's whole life must be worked into a harmony and this can be done by allowing the natural and wholesome impulses which are stirring in one's life to produce a unity after their own kind the insight which comes to a human being must be his own revelation dr lancaster found that ninety percent of the large number of young people whom he studied love solitude this fondness of seclusion is probably one of the wholesome instincts that nature has implanted in human nature muhammad went to his cave to solve the divine mystery christ went to the wilderness if we are generous in our interpretation of natural tendencies we shall doubtless believe that the alienation phenomena in which people so frequently condemn, and hold themselves aloof from the customs and social institutions which are the embodiment of racial wisdom, are in accordance with nature's way of enabling a human being to stand out, free from the rest, and work out clearly his or her own point of view. That which is worked out independently as an individual insight is often brought back to society as a newly discovered treasure. Thus is life enriched. It is a process of differentiation which ultimately increases the complexity and fineness of the social fabric. It cannot be too much emphasized, on the other hand, that youth is at the point of development at which it is beset on every side by liabilities of abnormal pathological extremes. It is the point at which not only genius begin to develop, but also criminals, not only persons of greatest spiritual insight, but likewise those of the extremist sensuality. It is at this period that religious difficulties most frequently develop into insanity. It is the point at which possibilities open up in every direction. If too much let alone, the crystallization which shall set the pattern for the whole afterlife, or maybe some excess or fatality quite abnormal, the little tottering child learns best by experience, but may be destroyed in the process of learning. It is of the gravest importance to look toward the means of steering clear of the developmental tendencies when they are liable to become too extreme the cure for helplessness that comes with storm and stress is often found in inducing wholesome activities faith without works is dead let us call to mind the fact that storm and stress and doubt are experienced some time during youth by something like seventy percent of all the persons studied on the other hand heightened activity which is characterized not only by an interest in religious matters but by engaging in actual religious work, was experienced by only about 22% of all the persons. This is doubtless very much out of proportion. Many persons have found the solution of their difficulties by actually setting about doing things. Female, I had doubts as to the value of prayer. I desired a certain thing very much and prayed for it, simply ignoring my doubts. It wasn't answered, but I have not been troubled since with doubts. Male, passed through a period of doubt. My cure was activity in doing what good I could. Male, I have doubted everything but mother's love and the existence of my poor self. My doubts have somehow been resolved in the stress of trying to live uprightly. I could not carry doubts far while trying to be a good son, student, husband, father, and citizen. The proper balance during youth will doubtless be found in evening up the percentages quoted above by bridging over to a certain degree the chasm between insight and the power of execution by carrying bits of spiritual wisdom over into action. An idea is strengthened if it can find expression. The multitude of ideas which try to break into consciousness will be best judged as to their fitness to persist by embodying them in deeds, and testing them as to whether they will fit into life as mainsprings of conduct. The test of the worth of an idea is the fact of whether or not it is fit to live by. When put into execution, ideas are brought out into clearness, and in the extreme confusion that is behind storm and stress is relieved. In the complex of sensations which underlie the development of self-consciousness from childhood up, there are doubtless none which have so great worth as the muscular sensations, not even excluding visual imagery, in terms of which so much of our knowledge is symbolized. Now, although development of the new spiritual selfhood is largely in the sphere of ideas, we shall never reach the point when these will not have to be embodied in sensuous symbols. And the ideas at the highest point of development will be more in terms of muscular activity than in any other sense. We appreciate what we have done or able to do. The one who enjoys the game most is the person who is actually engaged in the sport and who plays the game over again as a spectator. A vocalist listening to a concert by another vocalist finds the muscles of the larynx fatigued after leaving the concert hall, and in consequence of the muscular response, has really lived into the concert more vitally than anyone who has not experienced such a motor effort. It is deeds that make life real. It is actions that help most of all to unravel the inextricable skein of impulses. It is actually setting about doing things which drives the blood through the nervous system and helps it to carry out its normal activities. If any man shall do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. But now we are liable to go too far in this interpretation. We must preserve the balance. One cannot lay it down as a general rule that the wise treatment of the youth is to induce activity. Our records show that often one of the surest means to precipitate the difficulty is to act when there is not sufficient wisdom and insight behind it to ensure that the action be wisely directed. One person who had been harassed with fears for some time says further, I joined the church when fifteen and felt better. I confessed myself a christian but i began to awaken to the fact that i was not a christian for three or four years i sought salvation i felt helpless and convicted of sin while talking with the pastor one day the whole matter cleared up it was a simple acceptance of christ two or three more instances will emphasize the point male i lost sympathy with the doctrines of the church afterwards i tried to come back to it but failed my only satisfaction was a real reconciliation to the doctrines of christ Female, I joined church when twelve. I was not so anxious as before, but had the feeling that I did not believe what I said I did. Female, I saw that my friends were living far better and happier lives than I, and I felt I was living below my ideals. When seventeen, I joined church. Almost immediately, a reaction set in, and I regretted the step I had taken. I felt it had not altered my conduct, and doubted that to which I stood pledged. One of the most ungainly sights and one of the most hopeless in view of religious development, is that of one who hastens about in a fever of excitement, supposing to be for the glory of God, or for the good of the world. The determination of the proper courses as regards action or inaction during adolescence seems to be an individual matter, and depends on conditions too complex to be stated as a simple principle. This much seems clear, however, that there should be the proper mixture of conduct and insight that the activity should be constantly backed up by a higher degree of wisdom. End of chapter 20.